1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.
0: Yo. there are certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this.
1: Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And I'm here with Lynn today and also our special guests, Soy and Valerie. And together, we're all going to be talking about and following up with our last episode, which was on social media readiness for teens. And so we've been going through kind of the social media readiness process. And today, we're going to be focusing on talking about mobilizing. I guess before we get started, how is everybody doing?
0: I'm having a great day. We've uh, been talking, this is Lynn, and uh, we've been talking uh, about this topic and had quite an animated conversation going, uh, you know, mobilizing is a, a bit about why do uh, all of us go online, but especially teens, what sort of sites do we go on? And uh, especially the area of danger quotient is part of that. But today we were going to focus on why people go online of uh, many different reasons. And what do we know about the apps and sites we're using? How are you doing?
2: This is Soy, and I'm feeling a little tired today. So, I may not be the most uh, excited in my voice, but thank you for having me back, Lynn and Jen. I pass the torch to you, Valerie.
0: Hi, I'm Valerie. Thanks for having me, everyone. And maybe, Jen, you know, this is a topic that we've been working really hard on. You know, it reflects the media of today you know, really the struggles that are ongoing. And that's how we got together, all of us, to really work on this uh, way of preparing. Uh, teens to go online and dealing with some of the stuff we're seeing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wanted to make sure we're all introduced here since everybody's kind of part of this conversation, right? And I, I think what I'm really excited to talk about today is how mobilizing, I think, is really about building people's awareness so that they can be prepared to go online. And I think as we were talking about earlier, there are all these different aspects that we sort of maybe have picked up ourselves over time through just like our own experiences, but being able to think about how can we use our experiences coming from our lives and also interacting with clients and hearing about their own experiences to help the teens that we work with and the teens and parents that are listening to this podcast come up with ideas to mobilize their own resources so they can be prepared to give themselves the best experience. And so as you had already kind of briefly mentioned, Lynn, we did kind of break things down into three main questions that are important to address in order to make sure that you're mobilized. And so the first is kind of checking in with yourself about why is it that you're going online the second being you know what is it that we know about the sites or apps that we're engaging with and then lastly we will be talking about the danger quotient but in a different episode because we want to be able to go deeper into that so as we start off let's talk about this question of why am i going online what does it bring up for any of you in terms of either your personal life or the interactions that you've had with clients regarding this question?
0: With a lot of teens I work with, Jen, I think what I see, teens go online for a lot of different reasons, but mostly connection with friends is a big driver. And they're especially during COVID, they're looking for friends, they want to connect. They describe it like a lifeline if the parents are going to disconnect it. And I struggle with a lot of parents, you know, saying you need to keep these lines open for your kids because the kids today are pretty isolated and pretty shut down. But parents need to be aware of how kids are really using it.
1: Yeah, I think it has, especially during COVID, become sort of a replacement for some of the face-to-face conversations that you would have with friends, right? Like I hear a lot of my clients use Snapchat and they're just sending things that maybe normally like you would say to somebody if you were sitting with them, but because you're not seeing them, it becomes sort of like a a filler for that.
0: Are you working with many teens, Soy? At this
2: Um, (laughs) time, I've reduced my client caseload of teens and started working more with adults. But I have some, you know, young adults who were teens recently. And, um, you know, we talk a bit about what their experience was like, because it was very recent. And a lot of the times what I hear is uh, it's out of habit, like they just kind of pull up their phone and they do it to, you know, fill the time. And then they kind of run across things that like they're, they're not really sure how it's affected them, but they can come off feeling like, oh yeah, I feel a little bit better. Sometimes people feel like, man, I feel like crap. What's happening? And so there are a variety of you know results that that end up uh, because of the usage, and and a lot of them aren't aware. So I'm glad that we're doing this and talking about this. What about you, Valerie? Yeah. So
3: I mean. I can definitely relate to going online just out of habit. Um, I know for me, I I was born in 97, so I've never not had a time without the internet or social media. And for me, I know that it's helped me stay in touch with people over COVID. And that's been great. But definitely as a teen, I wish I was taught, you know, to know that not everything you see online is the truth. And you have to be able to have skills to m- navigate through the internet and understand how things make you feel and maybe what you don't want to look at. And yeah, I think we realized like going on social media out of habit could also just be as a way to distract yourself from boredom, from depression, anxiety, anger, and that's not always the healthiest way to cope with those feelings.
0: When you were a teenager, Valerie, did you ever, uh, anybody ever bring up the truthful aspect of it, that maybe the app or the site could have some misleading material with you?
3: Yeah, so I think as the internet and I have aged throughout (laughs) the years, I see a lot more positive messages being spread throughout the internet. I see a lot of health practitioners online. There's now uh, therapists with Instagram accounts who post really, you know, sort of helpful, motivating things. And um, those are some things I wouldn't really have learned on my own growing up. So I think that that has been a positive aspect for me. But at the same time, I've had to make sure that I've gone out of my way to follow accounts like that. And I think teenagers have to really understand that they have control over what they see to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm wondering uh, who starts the conversations with teens about this. Mm -hmm. What you were talking about, Valerie, and you, Soy, too, how do we talk even with our our clients really about their online world and the apps? And we have to be, I think, alert to clues from the young people we're working with about how they see the online experience they're having. Because that's how it often comes up for me. You know, they're talking about it, and then they may say they're unhappy about something, but they don't necessarily make that association about it. So it's really about engaging them in conversations about this process. And people don't talk a lot with each other about their experiences online. That's not something that's discussed a lot. It's it's funny, but it's not really. Maybe it isn't scientific articles, but uh, re- and, and in venues like this but online experience and how it makes you feel is really not discussed very much.
1: Yeah. I think being able to connect those dots for people is really helpful. And I I think I talked about this in our last episode too, but I'm happy to repeat it here. I think, you know, this idea of mobilizing is also about starting with a baseline for yourself. So you have some sort of measurement to compare your experience to. Whereas I think when, You don't recognize maybe more intentionally where you're starting from it's harder to recognize like, oh, this made me feel worse, or this made me feel better, because you don't really know what you're comparing it to. And so for me, part of mobilizing is teaching my clients to ask the questions of, you know, like, why am I wanting to go online at this time? And being able to turn inward about that and kind of checking in with yourself, like, oh, I'm feeling good, or I'm missing this person, or I'm curious about this aspect. And I don't have any other way of like gaining this information. You know, I think what's interesting in terms of talking about like trends that have kind of changed over time is I think talking about social media in the therapy room has just become so much like normalized where before I remember, like I would have clients be like, do you know what this is? And I'd be like, yeah, I know what Snapchat is. Or like, yeah, I know what Instagram is. And now there's just this sort of like, oh, I was on TikTok the other day and blah, 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 blah. And like, I know what TikTok is. Right. But there, there isn't that sort of like assumption of like, maybe this person wouldn't know about these things. And so I think it's really interesting to see how like integrated it's become into, in our lives in that way. And I also think that's like all the more important reason to start having these types of conversations with it, right? Like even if you're just like hanging out with your girlfriends being like, "You know, I was feeling really crappy and then I like went online and saw this motivational post and like I felt really great." But I know like my clients bring things like that all the time. Like they'll talk about, "Oh, I was on Facebook and I saw this quote that my friend posted," or "I was on TikTok and I learned this new word that I had never thought about," or, you know, I think it's really cool the the access that people have to all this information that wasn't readily available to them. So I think helping them kind of identify, as you said, I think that truthful piece is so important and that curation aspect, right? Like knowing how to evaluate, like maybe does this person have credentials or when you read their things, like how does it make you feel after, right? Or when you're looking at these images, like what does it bring up in you? I remember it was a really long time ago, but I think it was like sort of when the Dove campaign, the like all bodies campaign came out. And I remember being in class and it was one of the first times I remember ever talking about advertising and the impact of advertising. And how like in particular beauty products, you know, like you're made to feel not good enough in order to feel that you like need these things in your life and just the subtle ways and not so subtle ways that these messages are sent across. And I think if we can start those types of conversations earlier, like I think at least the teams that I've worked with, they're like aware of it, but they don't know how to talk about it. So I do think it's on adults, whether it be like, or even like older siblings and things to kind of introduce these conversations and make it more normalized to talk about. Sorry, I know I went on like a long speech there. But
0: you know what you're talking about is really helpful for what we do in therapy, but also with our friends and with our family. And for a long time, I think, uh, you know, there've been conversations about advertising, for example, there was this whole book, You know, Deadly Persuasion, written 20 years ago by Jean Kilburn, that really targeted this for adolescent girls, you know, some of the difficulties that they're having. And it really brought up the importance of having conversations like this about advertising. Now it's just ramped way up. And I, I think this talking happens naturally, Jen. I find in sessions, that we're bringing up apps all the time and, and different exchanges online all the time. So it's part of the session we're having. But the idea that you can turn it off, you can, as you say, curate your own world here, make changes, be suspicious, question the truth. These are all things that I think people don't necessarily think about.
2: Yeah, you know, one of my clients, I've been working with them for quite a while now, I think it's been at least over a year and a half. And uh, one of the first conversations we had was around body image. And they were really aware that like, I know what I look like, but I still feel very, you know, X, Y, and Z compared to what I see on social media. And that diff that that the difference or the cognitive dissonance that's happening there is just really, you know, it's really harmful to them. And I think it brings up more depression and anxiety and self-esteem issues that are really hard to tackle. Cause while, and this is a very gifted young person. um, So while intellectually they may understand that like, this isn't actually real, this isn't how I actually look. I still feel internally x y and z and and i can't help but wonder if a part of that also has to do with this large access and easy access of information that young people have now they can understand these things maybe on an intellectual level but how can they really feel it
0: how do you think you could help your client uh feel it so i let's say you've got the client in there and i i agree with you i think you can read the article read the book listen to a discussion like this, a podcast, but how can you help another person really connect with maybe their feelings around this better?
2: A large part of it is just validating that, you know, what we've been working on together is validating that, yeah, like you're, you, it definitely feels okay to feel the way that you feel, especially with what our culture keeps trying to push on us, right? Like you're never going to be good enough. You're, you have to look a certain way in order to be considered what's quote unquote pretty or beautiful or whatever, handsome. And, and then to, again, going back to how truthful is the material I'm seeing? Um, keeping that in mind, because there are things like, as we were discussing earlier, Photoshop that's being done to the pictures that we see, you know, as I was reading an article about how we hire older actors and actresses to play parts of teens in movies that are not realistic at all. And and that plays a huge part into it. So just keeping those things in mind, and you know, I guess what we would call as a fact check or a reality check is super important.
0: I I think what you're talking about is really important with our clients, you know, the validation of their feelings in response to it, encouraging more feelings to be brought up around media and talked about. Where I've seen the most troubles, really, for the particularly girls that I work with is around body triggers from social media. And it's looking at photos that have often been you know, screenshopped or photoshopped in a way that they're not realistic. And the girls can't seem to not compare themselves to these images that they're really seeing. And even if you validate the feelings, they still have this uh, draw in to these images, you know, when they still kind of push themselves in that direction you know, and how to work with them in in conversation to really see that, uh, you know, they're being pulled into this image in a way they're being sold this image. And they've got to try to break that. You know, that's a that's a tough process.
1: Well, I think humans are like very visual creatures, too. And so it's very easy to see something and be like, wow, this is so appealing. Right. And I think one of the things that is really great about the way some people have started to change the way they interact with a very visual platform, such as Instagram, is I remember this one lady who was a model was kind of taking photos and she was showing like, here's what the photo looks like pre Photoshop. And here's what it looks like after, or there was another woman who was taking photos and she was like, when I sit like this, this is how the photo looks. But three seconds later, like I sit like this and it, it looks like this, right? So I think being able to present more realistic images is one of the ways that you can use the platform to help kind of show evidence of like that truthfulness and like evaluating it, right? Because I think reminding people like photos are just a snapshot of a moment. And I think a lot of times, especially when we're younger, let's say like around 13, like we aren't sitting there with all these frameworks and thinking about all these things. And so even just these gentle reminders, I think seeing kind of like one photo next to another and being like, oh, wow, like, that that plants a framework for yourself to start evaluating other photos that you you engage with. I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is I think like exposure is really important.
0: So you work a a lot. uh, As you said, you worked a lot with teens and you're working with young adults. Do they talk about this much about the exposure to images?
2: Uh, we talk more relationally since that's kind of my, my focus and treatment and. We we talk a lot about how their esteem looks around relationships. And um, in particular, you know, I work with a lot of like young adults, like, j- as I mentioned, just kind of came out of high school or just started college. And you still, regardless of how they appear physically, a lot of them are struggling with the same kind of it- similar issues of esteem. Of how they look, how they might appear to other people, how they come off to other people. I work with one young lady who is aware that uh, you know has some body image issues, and I she is by far one of the like most petite people in like that I've ever met, and definitely does not appear the way that she feels she comes off to people. And there is a there are two young men who I'm working with, and both of them have some struggle with with their esteem. And while one person looks and portrays the physical appearance of what you uh, of what you know, our culture kind of is hoping kind of try to promote. And then the other, you know, not, 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 not similar, they both have come in to see me for Relationship issues, and a lot of the time, what's been interesting to see is how it's being expressed. These esteem issues that are coming up—they, all—all these different clients, they, you know, I see them both have depression and anxiety, but the way it's being expressed is really kind of varied. Um, and you know, we were talking a little bit about, and this is a very another kind of passion of mine is the cultural landscape and the expectations that we put on all the different kinds of genders in our society. Jen, you'd mentioned that it feels like men don't have as much space uh, to talk about the things that maybe us women do because therapy was seen as this like kind of sissy, quote-unquote, thing um, that's unacceptable for men. And I know that's, I think, kind of changing quite a bit now consider, you know, I I worked at a a rape crisis center prior and a lot of the education, prevention education things that we would do, we talked to a lot of young people who are in elementary school, middle school, high school. And we could see just through the language that they use, that the expectations are actually kind of shifting a bit for genders, but still nonetheless, they're still kind of there. So yeah, there's just, it's just been an interesting thing to to witness is this change, but still, there the core issue is still there about esteem and how it's how it's being impacted because of what we expect.
0: You know what you're saying. So I we had a hot discussion before we did the podcast about the gender issues, but the the and it is really a gender landscape. You know, working with young teens, there are, you know, of course, defined boys and girls, but there's a whole range really across the spectrum. And some, I have kids who define themselves as agender and genderless and a whole different group of things at 11, 12 and 13. You know, so there is really a whole spectrum there that's going on. One thing I see with the very young kids is bullying online around different issues Uh, Related to social media is really prominent. They're very vulnerable, not only to the images that they see, the visual images, but to comments from other kids or or people they identify as kids who are saying negative things about them. And that goes across all gender landscape, that bullying, uh, it really affects defined boys quite a bit. You know, I think it participates in setting up more rigid gender norms in a way. Because with boys, like you got to do this, you got to do that, and they get bullied in this way. So I think uh, the gender is an interesting topic, as it fits this, but the whole group of kids is getting affected by it.
2: Yeah, I think I am. I'm, I'm actually going to reference one of your earlier podcasts between you, uh, Jen and Lynn, um, about how social media seems like has kind of almost polarized these gender stereotypes. And then, but at the same time, what's been interesting is we have all these genders in between that have become more acceptable, which has been really cool. Uh, A little confusing to me, but I think it's kind of cool that And by confusing, I'm saying like, how why is this happening? Why is this phenomenon happening? So that's been really, you know, interesting. I feel like that could be a whole other segment in itself. (laughs) But, and, you know, also additionally, I'm thinking about Audrey and Daisy, right? They uh, are these young women who were sexually assaulted over here in Northern California. One actually ended up committing suicide. And I think there was a combination of the assault itself. And because of the bullying she experienced, um, that was really tragic. And it was all... online, some of it in person, but a lot of it was online.
0: And, you know, Jen, you were talking about conversation. That's another place I think we therapists step in is to really have conversations and prevent those kind of feelings going in a really, really sad and tragic direction. But parents could do that. Friends could do that. A uh, couple of the girls I work with knew one of the kids who suicided soy. And so working with them, having conversations with me, having conversations with their parents, with friends, really helped them process this. So I think these conversations around this topic are really, really important.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of sort of mobilizing is having the conversations, raising the awareness, creating the frameworks. Learning to ask these questions, right? I think all of that is so important, and I think the part that you're bringing up about some of the like more dangerous aspects is also really important to address. And so, obviously, I think you know this is a good place to wrap up what we've talked about. We've covered a lot of different things that I hope are helpful to our listener, and you know, to get you excited for the next episode. Like we are going to be talking about what we call the personal danger quotient and how to evaluate that in terms of engaging. All online. So look forward to that with all of you.
0: Okay, well, thank everybody. Uh, this has been fun to keep working on together. And uh, we look forward to the next one.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Come on, That's